Welcome to this second edition of our Poetry Podcast. I'm Shane Green, part of the team here at Independent Schools Victoria, where we're holding a poetry competition for all Victorian school students from all school sectors. The competition is an event of the Arts Learning Festival, which we present as a celebration of the importance of the arts in education. Last year we held a short story competition, but this year it's all about poetry. For after a poem of no more than 60 lines, you can let your creativity run free or embrace our optional theme, which is hope. As we mentioned last time, we decided upon this a while ago, but in these challenging days, we think hope is especially important. With students at home, we also think it's a perfect time to write a poem and enter our competition. You'll go into the running for book voucher prizes, as well as being published on our short story dispensers. You can find out more by going to artslearningfestival.com.au, that's artslearningfestival.com.au, or email us at stories at is.vic.edu.au, that's stories at is.vic.edu.au. Well, back to the subject of today's podcast. It's the second part of a tremendous discussion with Alan Wright, an educational consultant, writer and poet, and Corin Kaplan, an educator with a passion for literacy. So, how do you encourage young poets to find inspiration? Well, the answer is to think small, their own treasures and objects, the things around them. And what if you can't find the right word? Well, it's okay to make one up. Stay tuned to the end for a special treat where Alan Wright recites two of his poems. Jenya Janova from ISB is asking the questions. Okay, we've touched on so many aspects of poetry and the teaching of poetry, but I guess a pivotal question would be, why is poetry a critical consideration in the literacy classroom? Well, I, I think perhaps we can look at the statement that poetry stimulates the intellect and the imagination. And we, if we just look at that statement and think about the different layers of thinking we can elicit by reading poetry, so can we think about, let's say, what Fantas and Pennell refer to as the three layers of thinking, the within-text level thinking, where we're just looking at the words. And then we can dig a bit deeper and think about the beyond-text level thinking, when we're looking at the inferential so what is the poet actually saying? So this would, I think in this, it's, a, it's the inferential that comes out, the visualisation. And then if we think about the third layer of thinking, which is the about text level, when we're looking at the author's words, the poet's words, his choice words, and what messages can we take from that poem that can actually generalise into life? So, and, and inform our own responses, can't yes, yes, yes. So it's integral, and I suppose the word would be imperative, to have poetry in the classroom in order to raise the level of thinking. Uh, yes, because all, all those things that you mentioned are geared towards activating thinking and it's, it's critical that that be to the fore in what we're doing with all learning, but it's critical very much so to uh, the writing of poetry. Yeah. The other aspect of it that I, I start to think about is is that notion of encouraging creativity, because I know you know they. I think it was Jerry Spinelli, an American writer, said sometimes a, a writer can't find the right word that they need, so they create one, they invent one, 
And I went back and I know in one of my own poems, I kept hearing the word, I nearly was, I nearly was. And so I, I decided I would create this word, nearly was. And, and that's what happens sometimes. So it does inspire you to create either a new form of poetry or new words. And that comes out of all of that thinking and, and discussion and inferring and, and, and examining closely what another writer has put in front of us. And I think that's that's the beauty of it. And I suppose we might have touched on this before, but it's the the slowing down, the slowing down of our thinking that we can actually make these observations. And I think that's imperative in our classrooms today, that we're not just speeding through, but we're slowing down and being observers of, of the world, whether it's through poetry or through any other. We, um, we need to, in our classrooms, quarantine time for thinking. And, and so that the very people that we, we want to develop this capacity to think, we give them that opportunity to do that very thing that we're aspiring for them. And I suppose it's giving the opportunity, but the onus might be on the teachers is to actually seek out that opportunity. Where can we find the opportunity? Yes. Because we value something by giving it time. So we need to find the opportunities to give time to something that we value. Well, we, we also, as educators, we need time to find the types of poetry that is going to stimulate thinking, that quality poetry that, that challenges the reader to think. And, of course, we know that uh, when that happens, when they start to think, their own observation of the world around them becomes keener. They're, they're, they're more attuned to noticing and using all their senses to inform their learning response, and that's what we want. We don't want walking blindly through life. No, no. Actually to slow down and be observers of our world and take that into our writing of poetry or our reading of poetry. We often say uh, we need to bring the outside in. Yes. And, you know, I, when, when we come to students, I, I, I often find myself saying, when you came through that door this morning, you brought with you, hopefully, all the reading and writing you've ever done. Now use it to impact what you do today. Yeah. We talked about making poetry more accessible. What are some of the stimuli or techniques and different forms that we can use in our classrooms? I mentioned before this poetry is a really good form to begin with. And the notion of repetition, because repetition is really evident in, in a lot of poetry that is done. And sometimes it can even be a recurring question that, that children can respond to. The other thing that I think of are things like artefacts and ephemera, because they say ideas exist in things. So encouraging the young writer to see the value in the things around them. It may be starting off with the totems and keepsakes and treasures that exist in their own environments, such as their bedroom. Usually those things that they value have a story attached to them. And I know I've done this where I might have brought a collection of things in, in a brown paper bag into the classroom and just told the stories that are attached to those particular items and then showed them how I've used that as a starting point for writing poetry. Something as simple, and I know Pablo Neruda started us off there when he wrote an ode to a pair of socks. 
And so I found myself writing an ode to one of my ties that I used to wear as a principal going to school, and it was a really colourful tie. And I deliberately wore it to attract comment, but I became, in, in every sense of the word, attached to that tie. And so in the end, it was something that I could use as a stimulus for writing. So we need to help kids to learn to value the things around them because often they're there but they may not see them as having potential for their writing. So that's that's a wonderful place. Even simple things like tickets and brochures and cards and little keepsakes and treasures. And I know as a child I used to have a, a tin with a whole lot of collection of what other people might refer to as junk but they, they usually had some value. And there was a smooth black stone that I collected at one stage and I used to like to hold it in my hand. And that became the basis of a piece of poetry. So we don't have to necessarily say to, to children that you have to think, think up some grand idea because Andy Griffiths said in his book uh, Once Upon a Slime, you don't need to think things up. You need to just sit down, be still and look around you because all around you there are ideas waiting to be discovered. So that's that should be really reassuring to teachers and ultimately to, to the young writers that are in that classroom. You, you talked previously about your colours or your paints yes. as a technique as well. Yeah, I've also been using paint sample cards and floating into Bunnings on a regular basis and on other errands and, and just grabbing three or four paint samples on my visits. And the idea there is that you look at the name of the, the colour, the paint sample, and you must use those words somewhere within, say, three lines of poetry. It can be at the beginning, the middle or the end. So it's just like a, a stimulus to yeah. thinking. And it, it doesn't have to be... Uh, a grand piece of poetry, but it's more or less playing with words, playing with language and seeing what you can do. Because writing at the end of the day is problem solving. So here's an opportunity to get connected to poetry in a very simple way, but it enables children to see poetry. It demystifies it, I think. That's the critical thing, because often there's the, the belief in the community that Poetry is elitist and that, that other people write poetry, not me. And yet we can, as Bob Dylan used to say, anyone can be a poet, anyone, a taxi driver, a brain surgeon, a thief, anyone can be a poet. A thief in particular because they steal <laughs> ideas and yes. words. Well, um, I think it was Paul, Paul Kelly was once asked, where do you get your ideas? And he said, I steal them. And I knew what he meant because you, you, you learn from the writers around you. And uh, that is why I have a personal collection of maybe 300 poetry books because I need to be informed and I keep saying to teachers and to students, you need to read what you're trying to write. So I need to be reading a lot of poetry. And so I'm constantly on the lookout for new samples of poetry because that's where I get ideas because I say, oh, you can write about this or you can write about that. We all need that stimulus. And I think we do talk to our children a lot about borrowing book language. So what struck you in that book? What struck you? You know, could you borrow that and use that in your poem? What and is that, that writer doing that I wish I could do? Yes. And 
I suppose, to name and notice that move that mm. then I can attempt. Correct. Because I think the beauty about poetry is that it does exist everywhere. We just yes. need to slow down to notice it and, and to see correct. it. And we can squeeze, you know, the smallest moment out of an object. You know, we can stop and think and name and describe it. And that in itself can lead to a poem. It's slowing down and noticing. Most definitely. So we're going to talk about, once we've elicited the poem, how do we celebrate poetry? How do we encourage the children to write more, to notice more and celebrate their writing? I guess here one of the critical considerations is are we writing for authentic purposes? So we try to broaden the, the concept of audience and I often have a conversation with young writers about not only how do you want to publish your poetry, but where. So that I'm not writing this poem to be stuck on a wall. I'm writing this for someone to read. So the notion of readers. And so it may be another class in the school. It may be across the school. It may be out in the community. It may be for your family. So how do we... How do we get this going? And I know over the years we've done various things. We've, we've collected our poetry, created an anthology and put a copy of it in, in a waiting room, say at a doctor's or um, chiropractor's or a hairdresser's or sometimes up in the bank, the local bank. So we, we broaden the concept of audience. We, we found vacant shops and put the poetry in windows. We found niches around the school where we could put our poetry up and people could read it, even to the extent of putting it outside on a poet tree. So, um, <laughs> so the notion of uh, you know audience is 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 there from day one. Who am I writing this for, and what do they need, and going from there? Because we have to give it a purpose. Correct. And without Correct. an audience, there's no purpose. And I also think it's equally important to not just celebrate the product, but to celebrate the process. Yes. The process of yes. writing a How poem. How did you get here? Yeah, How exactly. Did you, How did you get to this point? So look what I've tried. I've attempted this and that could be, you know, halfway through the poem, quarter way through, so that we're not just celebrating a final product, although that is really very important. But process but is process, really important. What I've achieved and today as a writer. Absolutely. And, and we... And, if we share our process, it makes it easier for the inexperienced writer to be aware of their own process. And so that's why we, we you're right, we shouldn't just focus purely on the product, but how do, how do, the journey. Yeah, the journey. So the journey, how did we get there? The other thing that I was thinking about is the, the notion of performing our poetry mm. and presenting it, you know, to a live audience. Yeah. So setting up poetry presentations out in the schoolyard, you know, in the community, so parents that to come in. parents yeah. to come in and maybe hold a poetry party in mm. your classroom where parents uh, come in and, and the children perform mm. their poems or video them and present them that way. We can put poetry online in school newsletters. So we need to have these discussions with the very people who are writing these poems and ask them to consider possibilities for uh, the presentation of their poetry. I think that these sort of things elevate poetry in the minds of the writer, but it also gets it out into the community so people are hearing it, seeing it, experiencing it. And um, I think that's, that's 
you know, vitally important. So children's voices then are, ref- are used to reflect upon the experience that inspired them to keep that poetry in their hearts. Yeah, yeah. And so that's... I know from my own experience, when, when children have this positive experience with poetry, it energises them to want more and they, they strive to, I, I want to keep going with this because the feeling that I got from the response of my readers mm. makes me feel validating it's valid, validating yes. my yes. efforts mm. and I want to keep, I want, I want more of that sort of feeling. Because it develops the confidence, the Absolute, confidence to, to, to keep going. And I, I know from my own experience it was people validating what I was trying to do mm that gave me a sense of agency, and agency is critically important for all of us to persist with the things that we're endeavouring to do. That discussion's led beautifully into our poetry competition, which we've launched earlier this year. We're encouraging students from all schools and all sectors to participate in a poetry competition, an age-appropriate level, and... We've given a a general theme, but not an exclusive theme. So students should write what their passion is. The general theme that we've given in this time is the theme of hope. So our poetry competition has been launched and we encourage you to have a look at our website. It's part of our arts festival program. And... In keeping with that, um, Alan, we're wondering if you would do us the honour of reading a couple of your poems and perhaps explaining what was the thinking behind them. The poem I'm about to read is from my latest book. It's called What the Poemster Found. The word poemster is an invented word and it wasn't a word that I came up with. A little boy in a school in South Australia deserves the credit for that. I was waiting outside the office, hoping to find out exactly which classroom I was meant to go to, and he wandered by and he looked at me with a frown on his face, and then he came back again and he looked at me a second time and he said, hey, mister, are you the poemster? And it, to me, that word instantly stuck in my brain and I thought, I've, I've got to find somewhere to use that. And I originally had a different title for this book, but in the end I was able to use this wonderful new word that had come into my possession. And the book is called What the Poems to Found. And the poem that I'm about to read you is called Where Does My Poetry Hide? Because I think it's important that all of us know where to go looking for poetry. I'll begin. Where Does My Poetry Hide? It snuggles in snatches of conversation floating down the street. It rocks about in my collected treasures, junky and jumbled. I look for it in lettuce, limes and lemons, in asparagus, apples, even artichokes. It might be sealed in a packet of peppermints, a jar of peanut butter escaping with aromatic intensity. Poetry washes up on the shoreline in clusters of seashells, glittering sea glass, seaweed and wet sand. I seek it out in a song's refrain and voices in a playground. I find it nestling in my favourite books. It emerges in isolated words and fabulous fragments, angry and otherwise. It swirls in the mumbles and whispers rumbling against the internal walls of houses. It develops in photographs that magically reveal my history. Poetry soothes me 
and sonorous voices on the radio and thunders at me on stormy mornings. I can spot it in a day-old newspaper article or a morescent autumn leaf. Poetry reveals itself in a small child's eyes. It announces itself in simple pleasures or recollections of days long past. It is minute like smidgens and skerricks, things barely seen or blown to smithereens. It is immense like boulders, bridges and reservoirs. I hear poetry in the morning carol of magpies. I wake each day knowing it's out there, waiting for me to discover its hiding spots. Coming, ready or not. I met a girl in a school who told me she had this wonderful idea for remembering things. And as a curious learner, I was keen to find out what this strategy was because I'm, I've had this eternal quest to find ways to, to recall and remember things. And she said to me, in my mind, I put a stone on the idea and I trap it there. And I asked her, does it work? And she said, yes, it does. And I started to think about my own process for remembering things. So this poem's called The Words That Come at Night. Sometimes the words of unwritten poems slide into bed next to me. They nestle on my pillow and whisper in my ear. Write me down, write me down. Remember me in tomorrow's early light. Soft echoes at the edge of sleep implore me to commit to memory sweet refrains and edgy fragments. These faint murmurings, these wannabe words of unwritten poems, settle as cobweb-fine final thoughts, last visitors before sleep swallows the room. Alan Corrin, thank you very much. It's been a very stimulating, interesting conversation and I'm about to go and write some poetry. <laughs> well, that's the perfect outcome, isn't it? Thank you very much for the opportunity to, to talk about our passion. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for the second part of what has been a fascinating discussion with Alan and Corin. What fabulous ideas for all our young poemsters. To find out more about the poetry competition, remember, go to artslearningfestival.com.au. That's it for now. Until next time.